You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you again on this 5th of July. I hope you all had a safe and sane 4th. Everybody got all their fingers still? That's, that's a good thing. Uh, I'm Steve Ellis, and I am one of the former elders here, and every now and then they give me the opportunity to share from the pulpit, so I'm going to be preaching this morning. And, um, you know, spent the holiday yesterday at my niece, Nicole. She uh, sings up here occasionally, not this morning, but she and her husband, Jason, they have started the annual 4th of July partay. We used to go to parties, but apparently now they are partays. So that's where we were yesterday, a lot of little kids rolling around, and I had a good time. And I thought in honor of the holiday weekend that I would wear this morning my favorite traditional 4th of July do-rag. How's that, huh? Pretty good? Almost makes you want to salute, doesn't it? Yeah. All right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Uh, after the service today, I'm, uh, I'm going to go get me a Harley and a, and a Born in the USA tattoo, right? And then I am going to sit on my couch and watch the Women's World Cup final. I am all in on America today. My country, tis of thee. It is the greatest country the world has ever seen. Still. So, celebrate this great land. Pray for your country. Pray for your leaders. And then, go preach the gospel. Because, you know, while laws are good and and as great as this country is, if history teaches us anything, it is that you cannot legislate people into the kingdom of God. You cannot do it. That is a work of the heart. We are not getting into God's kingdom because we are Americans. Faith in Christ is a work of the Spirit, and it only comes through an encounter with the living God. You know, the Scripture does not say, if any man hear the Ten Commandments, he is a new creature. It doesn't say that. If any man be in Christ, all things become new. Renewal comes from the work of the Spirit in your heart in Christ. That's why, that's why we celebrate Jesus here at Cypress Church. That's why, as Nathan said, we're all about Him. That's why our vision statement is to live and love like Jesus. So we want to introduce people to the living God. That's who changes lives. He changed mine. Right about now, I know you're out there thinking, is he really going to wear that thing for the whole service? No, no, you, you wouldn't take me seriously if I did, I know. Not that you do anyway, but you know. God bless America though, right? Amen. Hey, we are in a sermon series titled Wrestling with God in Prayer, and we've been 
um, surveying through some of the Psalms in that process for instruction and inspiration on how to have the intense internal interaction with God about our life. And our topic this morning is ask. And our launching pad on the subject is Psalm 17. Now, if you've read many of the Psalms, you know that David was one of the greatest askers of all time. So if you've got your Bible this morning, turn uh, to Psalm 17, if you would. And if you, if you don't have a Bible, you need one, uh, just raise your hand. You're going you're to want one this morning. Uh, the ushers are coming down the aisle. They will put one in your hands uh, as a loner for the service. We just ask, you know, at the end of the service, just leave it on the chair and they'll pick it up when you're done. <clears throat> Psalm 17. When I was first told my topic on prayer was ask, <clears throat> I thought, well, that's kind of redundant, isn't it? I mean, after all, what does it mean to pray? Here it is. Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary, pray, to ask, entreat, implore, to make a request or a plea. Prayer involves asking. That's what it is. So, two quick questions today. How should we ask? And, and why should we ask? That's what I want to look at quickly this morning. Life is messy. Amen? <laughs> and, and we need help. And over and over again, we are encouraged to ask. The scriptures are rife with exhortation on that very subject. It's just a few examples. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. That means don't stop asking, right? Philippians 4.6-7 Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God in everything. That means every situation. Look up everything in the dictionary if you want to. It means all things. Or how about the words of Jesus? Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. You know who's really good about asking? Children. My wife and I have four grandkids now, and um, we uh, babysit them just about every week. Well, mostly she does, but, you know, I'm usually around. And when that door opens up, it's, Papa, 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 Fufu. That's their name for our dog. Uh, Papa, Papa, outside. Papa, Frisbee. They, they want to go outside and throw Frisbee to the dog, you know. Or, Papa, Papa, I watch Thomas. If you're a parent, you know Thomas the Train is like big stuff these days, and, and they have these Thomas videos on YouTube. He likes to watch. They like to watch him. Or, Papa, Papa, play hockey. He sees his dad doing it. Or, Papa, Papa, I want apple. Or, on and on and on. The requests are endless. They are not shy about asking. 
You know, if they're playing and I'm in the room and they see me or sense my presence, they just turn to me and ask for what they want and what they need. If I'm not in the room, if I'm somewhere else in the house, they seek. They go find me. Papa, Papa. If I'm more distant, if I'm upstairs in my bedroom and the door is shut, they knock to get my attention. Papa, Papa. Ask, seek, knock. The point here seems to be that it doesn't matter where you sense God is in your life at the moment. Whether He's immediately close at hand or, or He seems distant to you and it's hard to communicate or, or even if you feel there are barriers between you and you need to knock, He will hear and respond. And yet it seems for us, almost anything can distract us. Almost anything can take us away from prayer. Somewhere along that path from childhood when we were unabashed askers to becoming an adult, some of us just quit asking. I don't know if it's from pride or or from a false sense of independence, or, or a false sense of unworthiness, or just frustration because we think we've been told no too many times, or whatever the reason. So many of us become slow to ask in our relationship with our God. And we shouldn't be. Not at all. So how should we ask? There are a lot of uh, formulas out there if you've read books on prayer, you know, and uh, they're all good. But from the text this morning, from Psalm 17, I think the answer to that question is ask boldly and simply. Psalm 17 begins like this. Hear, O Lord, my righteous plea. Listen to my cry. Give ear to my prayer. It does not come from deceitful lips. May my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what is right. We're two verses in and already five requests. Hear my plea. Answer my cry. Listen to my request. I need your help. Declare me innocent. Let your eyes see the truth. You can almost hear the emotion. In his voice. Help me. He continues. Verse 5. Help me stay on the path. Verse 6. I have called you because you listen. Hear me. Verse 7. Show me your unfailing love, O Lord. By your mighty power, rescue me. Verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Verse 9. Protect me from my enemies. Notice there's no flowery introduction here. David doesn't stand on ceremony. This is a man in desperate need, and he is just asking for help. My wife and I raised four children, two boys, two girls. They're all married and out of the house in 
in good spots now. I made my last tuition payment about a year ago. I was like, oh, Dad got a raise. You know? <laughs> and they're all in good places, but you know, there were, truthfully, some rough spots along the way. Uh, our youngest son, John, uh, he was a baseball player. He was a good baseball player, good enough to play on the local high school freshman team at Los Alamitos. And, um, you know, he, he was uh, on the team with the guys, and, uh, you know, that became kind of his social experience. And, you know, some of them were good influences, and some of them were not so good influences. And, you know, as parents, you know that, you know, sometimes when the guys get together, things can get a little out of hand sometimes. And, and this was the year before he went to Hume Lake, and God got a hold of his heart and turned his life around. And he got himself into a little mischief one night. I was home alone. My wife was out uh, at a concert or something. And about uh, 10.30 at night, he was out uh, with his baseball buddies. That much I knew. Um, I get a call from uh, a Seal Beach police officer. Now, that's never a good thing. And she said, uh, are, are you Mr. Ellis? I said, yes, I am. He said, do you have a son named John? I said, yes, I do. She said, well, you need to come get him. He's drunk. I was like, okay, where is he? And she gave me the details. He was down. They were down at the Seal Beach Pier. And if you know that area, the, the parking lot at the beach is below ground level. Ocean Avenue is up here, and then there's about a 15-foot drop and a big retaining wall, and the parking lot is down there. So I drove down at the pier, and there was the police car in the parking lot, and I, I talked to the officer, and my son, Johnny, was sitting up against the retaining wall on the far side of the parking area, and as I walked over to him, he saw me, but his eyes didn't focus. Have you ever seen anybody in that state, you know, where it's just like a vacant stare in their eyes? And as I got closer to him, he looked up at me and recognized me and he said, Dad, help me. Now, do you think in that moment I said to him, well, get yourself cleaned up first and then we can talk. Or do you think I said to him, well, if you want some help, first we need to talk about what you did. Or do you think I said to him, you want my help? Well, how about first you uh, address me with a little dignity? After all, I am your father. There was none of that. That was my son. And he needed my help. I picked him up, cleaned him off, got him in the car, took him home, got him in bed. And the next morning I said, how you doing? You okay? He knew he had done something really dumb. He didn't need me to tell him. He just needed his dad's help. Now I know there are times when we will frame our requests with praise or thanksgiving or confession I mean, you've all probably heard that acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And, and that's a good tool. But 
Sometimes we just need to say, Dad, help me. And that is exactly what David is doing here in Psalm 17. He is just laying out his heart boldly and simply. There's nothing fancy about it. Dad, help me. And our God promises to respond because we are His children. Romans 8, For we have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba. That's the Hebrew word for daddy. If you've ever been to Israel, you see all these little kids running around behind their fathers. Abba, Abba, Abba. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ for for that reason. For that reason. Hebrews 4.16 Let us come boldly, therefore, to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. You know, a lot of things happened at the cross. A lot of things. But I think one of the most beautifully symbolic things that took place, we are told in Matthew 27, verse 51, that at the moment of His death, when Jesus cried out, it is finished and surrendered his spirit. The heavy veil in the temple between the Holy of Holies rent in two from top to bottom. And this was no ordinary curtain. It was six stories high. 60 feet, 30 feet wide, woven in fabric an inch thick. It was so heavy it took 300 priests to maneuver it into place. And God just tore it in half. As if to say, no more barriers. Relationship restored. And now we, we can go to Him boldly and simply about anything. Really. When our family was growing up, I, uh, I make no bones about it, my wife ran the household. She still does. She has the gift of administration. I, on the other hand, do not. I am organizationally challenged, so I was the entertainment director. You know, it was my job to make sure that we had great memories together as a family and there was laughter in the walls. So we played a lot of games with our kids growing up. And one of the games we played was Monopoly. They still play Monopoly? Yeah, okay, good, good, yeah. And uh, we, would, we would play that game a lot. And, and this one, you know, we were pretty competitive. So some of these games got, you know, kind of intense. And uh, this particular day, we're playing, there's four of us, is my wife and I around the table with our oldest son, Jason, our oldest daughter, Lauren, and it's getting near the end of the game, and Jason is about to bankrupt us all, 
even at 12 years old, he was a better businessman than me. And um, Lauren, it's her turn, and her token is on the jail space down in the left-hand corner, uh, but just visiting, you know. And uh, Jason's got Monopoly on the orange ones. For some reason, St. James Place, Tennessee Avenue, and New York, those were his favorites. He always went for those first. And he's got his hotels on there or whatever. So Lauren is, is about to run the gauntlet. And uh, at the top of the row is free parking. Now, we had a special rule in our household. I don't know if you had kind of house rules for Monopoly games. But our house rule, one of our house rules was, you know, um, we took all the things like luxury tax and income tax and uh, street repairs and, you know, bank charges, stuff like that. And we, instead of putting that money back in the bank pile, we stuck it in the middle of the board. And if you landed on free parking, you got whatever was in the pot at that moment. And nobody has landed on free parking for a while, so there's a, there's a big pile of cash in the middle of the board, and Lauren is excited. She's thinking, ah, I'm going to get a 10, get free parking. And Jason's thinking, six, eight, nine. And uh, my wife and I are in the middle uh, with Jason of some, we're trying to do a three-way deal over Pennsylvania Avenue and Marvin Gardens or, or something. So, you know, I'm, I'm engaged in that, and I'm not really paying attention. And, but out of the corner of my eye, Lauren rolls the dice, and I think I see a five, and a four. Nine. Ooh. She's going to owe her brother some serious rent money. And, uh, you know, we're finishing up our deal, and, and the next thing I know, I look over at the table, and the two dice in front of Lauren, instead of a five and a four, it's a five and a five. And she's moving her token up the row toward free parking. And Jason's going, hey, 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 you had a nine. I saw it. And Lauren's like, uh-uh, which immediately creates a crisis, right? And, and so, you know, w- what am I going to do? Uh, and, and I, you know, I think I saw a nine. You know, I'm 90% sure I saw a nine. So, you know, I, at first, I, you know, I tried to shame her. It's like, you know, Lauren, are, are you sure you had a 10, because, you know, I, I think it was a 9. Oh, no, Daddy, I, I had a 10. She went back down. So then, you know, I had to escalate. I gave her the look, you know. Lauren, are you sure you had a 10? Because if you had a 9, you know, that would be cheating. And nobody likes cheaters. And, you know, Jason's about apoplectic by this time. You know, he's looking at me, Dad, are you going to let her get away with this? You know, and I'm thinking, Lord, what do I do? I mean, do I, do I accuse my beautiful cherub daughter of cheating? I mean, I think, I think it's, but what if I'm wrong? I mean, that's the kind of thing that can scar your kid for life, right? But, you know, in the meantime, my son will never trust me again if I let him get away with this. But, but it's my daughter, there's a double standard. I'm sorry. You know, I'll just, I'll admit it right here. And so I'm, I'm asking inside, I'm, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? And, and in a moment of Solomonic wisdom, I decided we're going to have her roll again. I said, Lauren, you need to, you need to roll again. And, and she was fine with that. I think by now the guilty conscience had started to set in, you know, um, you know, but Jason still thinks he's being jobbed, you know, and, and I'm like, hey, and so she picks up the dice to roll again, 
And I'm just, oh, Lord, I really need a nine. Anything but a ten, right? You know, because I'm thinking, well, Jason's got three spots, six, eight, nine. And if you've placed Settlers of Catan, you know those are pretty good numbers. You know, they come up fairly often. So I'm thinking, you know, chances are she's going to land on one of those properties anyway. So she rolls the dice. Double sixes. Twelve. Oh, well. Well, at least it wasn't a 10, right? And so if you know the board, that takes you up past free parking, past Kentucky Avenue to Chance. And if you've played Monopoly, you know when you land on the Chance Square, you draw one of the orange Chance cards in the middle of the board. And, uh, you know, Jason is, I'm just looking at him like, look, I'll make it up to you, okay, you know. And Lauren draws the top chance card, and she flips it over, and probably some of you know where this is going. I kid you not. She puts that card down on the table, and it says, go back three spaces. (laughs) To New York Avenue. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I just wanted to do a Tiger Woods fist pump. You know, it's like, yeah! And, and, but the other part of me is thinking, show off. <laughs> and we looked at that card on the table, and we all started giggling. Even Lauren, she knew she'd been busted. <laughs> now, I- I'm sorry um, if you thought that last illustration was really unspiritual. Okay, I, you know, I don't mean it that way, but you know, I, un- undoubtedly there's some people out there going, really a monopoly game do you really think god cares who wins the monopoly game around your kitchen table no but he cares about his children and their needs and that was a moment of need i was crying out to god for help and he responded he responded We went from a tense, potentially very negative situation to a wonderful teaching moment about honesty and integrity and what's what's really important. And and for me, you know, you can say, oh, that was just a coincidence. But I know better. Because in that moment, I was crying out to my God for help. And as insignificant as that may seem to you, that was a faith-building moment for me in my relationship with God. You know, because I, I, think, I think God likes to do stuff like that. You know, if you've experienced the work of God in your life, you know that sometimes all you can say is, wow, that was a God thing, Right? When God shows up, he likes to leave no doubt. And he wants us to ask boldly and simply. And he also wants us to ask repeatedly. That's the second point. 
David here in Psalm 17, he keeps saying the same basic thing over and over and over again. Hear me, O Lord. Listen. Deliver me. Save me. Help me. By about verse 5, you're thinking, man, you know, we got it. You know, we, we heard it already. But he keeps it up all the way through verses 13 and 14. Arise, O Lord, and deliver me from my enemies. Destroy them with your hand. Five times he asks in varying ways for the Lord to hear him. Five times he asks to be delivered and for justice to be meted out to his enemies. He doesn't quit. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 18 about an unrighteous judge and a pestering widow who kept bugging him and bugging him and bugging him until he finally relented and gave her the justice she was seeking. And verse 1 of chapter 18 says that Jesus told the story to his disciples to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And he closes the parable in verse 7 with the statement, Will God then not bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? And the unspoken answer to that rhetorical question is, of course he will. Why does God want you to nag him? Do you ever ask yourself that question? Why does God want you to nag him? Maybe it's because when we are asking, we're doing more than just asking. We are also actively engaged. We are exercising the relationship that he wants with us in those moments. My wife loves it when I ask her questions. She's thinking, he's actually paying attention. Look at, he's looking into my eyes. He's actually listening. Maybe, could it be the caveman really does care? You see, when we are asking, we are doing more than just asking. We are also listening. Lord, what am I supposed to learn from this? Why is this happening? Help me get through this, Lord. Where do I go from here? We are tuned in and communicating with Him in those moments. And that's why I think the asking sometimes isn't so much about what we want, but about what happens to us in that process. Which brings me to the last point. The asking is often for our growth. Look at what happens in the last verse of the psalm. Verse 15. As for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. After all that asking, after all that ethos and passion, David essentially settles down and says, 
I'm good. It's going to be okay. You're going to be with me no matter what. And that's going to be enough. You know, earlier we looked at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing and everything with prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. But we didn't read this next verse, verse 8. And that says, And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The process of asking And sometimes you're not even asking God for something. Sometimes the question is just, why? But that wrestling with God actually helps us grow. It opens up our hearts to relationship with Him. When I was 18 years old, I got uh, hit by a pickup truck on Long Beach Boulevard. uh, Sandwiched uh, between that Ford F-150 and my little Ford Courier pickup truck. And uh, that landed me in the hospital for a couple of months, had, had a couple of operations. That part wasn't fun. But through that process, I met a girl. Oh, did I meet a girl. I mean, this girl was so far beyond any woman that I had ever imagined might have any interest in a guy like me. I thought I had won the lottery. I fell so hard for that girl, did some of the craziest things imaginable to win her heart. I mean, you talk about idols. (laughs) I had her so far up on a pedestal. She was the love of my life. I was obsessed. She was all I thought about. We dated a couple of years and we're making plans to get married and I'd put a ring on layaway at a local jewelry store. And then something happened. I I couldn't figure it out at first. I I, I sensed it. Something had changed. And eventually I I figured it out. You remember that old Beach Boys song, Help Me Rhonda? You know, from the 1960s. You guys know that one? Help me Rhonda, help, help me Rhonda. I'm not getting much affirmation out there. (laughs) But he goes, she was going to be my wife and I was going to be her man. Ooh, ooh. But she let another guy come between us and it ruined our plans. Ooh, ooh, Rhonda. Yeah, that, that happens. And my heart broke in a way that I didn't know was possible. I cannot adequately describe to you what that was like. There are just no words in the English language that really capture an experience like that anguish despair maybe that's the closest i could get but they don't get you all the way there that was a wilderness like no other i felt like i had a stake driven right through the middle of my chest for four months and nothing i could do could change it i couldn't make it go away and believe me i wrestled with god in prayer because i had been so sure she was the one god had i I thought affirmed in so many ways to me this is it 
I begged God. I pleaded with him. I got angry. Why did you let this happen? God, you, you let me get so sure she was the one, and, and now this? Why? God, I, I can't live without her. I feel like a part of me has just been ripped away. I need her, Lord. I'm almost ashamed to say it, but there were days in that process where I just felt like I wanted to die. There really were. Spoiler alert. I get the girl. But it was over six months of the deepest emotional desert I have ever experienced. As God slowly through that process proved to me His grace was sufficient. That all I really needed was Him. That His presence, His love, was more than enough. That He never fails. That His love is not fickle. I kept hearing it over and over and over in the wrestling until I finally got to the point where I could actually believe it. But I have to tell you, that was a time of growth in my relationship with my God, in my clinging to Him, in my holding on to His promises like I had never experienced before or since. And just when I got to the place that I realized I was not going to go through life as an emotional zombie, when I finally got to verse 15, when I finally really understood, Lord, I I will see your face, and that's enough. God gave her back to me. Out of nowhere. Or maybe she just came to her senses. I don't know. (laughs) That was 37 years ago. And now she is still the second greatest love of my life. And always will be. You know, we sang the song this morning. Jesus You are Lord of all. But that wasn't an easy lesson for me to learn. It took a lot of wrestling. Wrestling is sometimes painful. Wrestling is often exhausting. But wrestling is where God proves to you and me He is exactly what the scriptures say he is. You know, the truth is, God rarely answers in the way we would like. He's got his own plans. Just ask Jim Elliott and Nate Saint. Do you think they asked? Do you think they prayed? before they put that plane down on that sandbar in the middle of that river in Ecuador? You betcha. But they were not privileged to see God's answer to those prayers in their own lifetimes. 
God answered their prayers. Make no mistake about that. Through the ministry of their wives and succeeding generations. And every summer, every year now, we send a team down to Ecuador to minister to the Wadani Indians because of the asking that Jim Elliott and Nate Saint did back in the 1950s. God's ways are not our ways, but he does hear and he does respond. How many times have you said to yourself, I need to pray more? How many times? How many times have you said to yourself, you know, it feels like I just go to the Lord when I'm in crisis. How many times have you said that? Maybe it's time to start asking more. Boldly, simply, repeatedly. It's for our own good. And it is my prayer, my hope, that through this series of wrestling with God in prayer, that God will awaken in us a new inclination, a new desire to pray. Not a, not a job, but a joy. Let me close with these verses from Romans 8. Verses 30 to 32. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? For he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? If we ask. Will you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you for the, the opportunity, Lord, the privilege to be able to come boldly before the throne of grace for the work of your Son on the cross and his shed blood that paid the penalty for all of our sin and all of our shame. Father, teach us to ask more. Teach us how to ask boldly and simply just to to lay our hearts out before you to call on you for help and to trust you in your wisdom with the answer. Father, we pray these things in, in your glorious name, according to your glorious power, and according to the words of truth that only you possess. In Jesus' name, amen.